Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Way Niagara podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Berta. It is very common for us to talk on the podcast about relationships and relational health, as it is an important part of our lives. We talk about, you know, relational health, spiritual health, physical health, and these are all important things. But one thing that we haven't talked about very much is when those relationships go south, when there's a problem, when there's a separation of people. And it's been on my heart to to have a conversation about that with you on the podcast. And I found the right person to talk to through some mutual friends. I met Samuel Sarpia and as we got to know each other a bit more, he shared how conflict resolution and reconciliation and peace are kind of the core of the ministry that he does. And so I'm really excited to have this conversation. There are so many different things that we could get into, but for now, I just want to say welcome Samuel to the Way Niagara podcast. Thank you so much, Jordan. It is truly a privilege to be having this conversation with you. Thank you so much, my friend. And to get started, why don't you introduce us to your family? Okay, my name, as you heard, Samuel Sarpia, and I am married to Gretchen Sarpia, and God has blessed us with three beautiful daughters, ages 20, 18, and 16. Our 20-year-old is a third-year philosophy major student uh, studying at uh, a college in Ottawa, a university in Ottawa. Uh, my 18-year-old, uh, 18-year-old is a first-year med sci student at Western University, and then we have a 16-year-old who she's been saying she wants to be a, a sports doctor. So we'll see if the grades and her activities keep her there. That is awesome. And uh, so, yeah, busy life with uh, three young adults, daughters, and um, you are also a pastor, speaker, author, um, and that ministry has taken you all over the world. And so why don't you tell me a little bit about some of the places that you've been, that you've worked, and, um, you know, and kind of how you landed in uh, in Canada. Okay. Uh, I will try as much as possible not to bore you up with my boring life. But I'll, do, <laughs> I'll try the best uh, to give you a 70,000 foot view of the journey that I've been. Uh, most of you may not know, but I am Nigerian born, uh, currently a South African citizen by naturalization. My wife is South African born. She that's all the country that she knows. But my journey into this began in my own native land, the country for which I was born at, which is in Nigeria. And that ministry has taken me to the Netherlands, to South Africa, to the US, uh, to Europe, uh, other parts of Europe like Switzerland, Denmark, and living in the US for about uh, three and a half years, first in Hawaii and about 11 in Chicago, where I planted and pastored the church and did a lot of conflict and reconciliation work as part of the DNA of our church. And so, but in the last four years, God has really navigated us towards Canada. And little did we know that we'll show up in Canada. And then there was something that we all can remember in 2020 called COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, shut the whole door down. 
uh, and so kind of been stuck in one place. But recently, just in the last two years, I've been in the GTA serving as a pastor as well as peacemaker and peace builder. Uh, still traveling around the country, around the world. Predominantly, I do most of my travels now to the U.S. to either train churches on uh, peace building and conflict transformation or actually city governments. Uh, currently, I'm working with the city of Elgin, uh, which started with a police department and now is the entire city and uh, a host of other cities that have worked across the U.S. to help them navigate uh, in the world of, in a polarized world that we live in what are some ways that we can learn to live together uh quoting my uh, uh, reverend dr martin luther king says we better learn to live together as brothers or we perish as fools and that has been my uh, my driving force how do we learn to live together and most especially in the church context where conflict is part of being in the church it sure is and you know, and especially, you know, 2020, I feel like to me, things have just been at a fever pitch ever since then. Like the the seeming like it's so easy to get into conflict and mm-hmm. it always has been. But I feel like even in the ministry that I do, that I hear far, far more about these kinds of things now and then. You had the uh, the death of George Floyd um, in 2020 as well, which really sparked a lot, particularly in the U.S. But, you know, you heard about that in Canada, you know, and all these different things like it is the world is very polarized, but we have something to unite around. Yeah. And that's Jesus. And so we, you know, we need to do our best to invite people to the true Prince of Peace. Amen. And, and that is, that was of the verse that I, that has actually guided me through the last four years is mm. that verse in Isaiah that says, you know, he will be called wonderful counselor, everlasting father, Prince of Peace. And um, I actually spoke um, on that verse just a week before the shutdown. Oh, wow. And, wow. That verse has kind of helped anchor me so many times that's kind of referred to as a Christmas verse or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's the one I've kept on going back to because all of those things are the things that we need in our lives right now. We need the Prince of Peace. We need a wonderful counselor. We need a mighty God. And, you know, when it says, you know, the government will rest on his shoulders and it's like, well, thank God, because it is not seeming to be working right Mm. now. And so that's something that I've, you know, really leaned towards. So before we get into a little bit more practical of how to reconcile Mm -hmm. um, and how to bring peace into difficult situations, why don't you tell me a little bit about how this particularly became an area of passion for you? Um, I, again, I grew up in Northern Nigeria where Christians are in the minority, where religious persecution seem to be the order of the day. And like currently, even in that rich part of the world, I have not lived there for 29 years. Uh, so in the last 29 years, I've not lived in that particular part of the world because God has taken me 
has probably lead, helped me to understand that uh, when you are a minority in a predominantly uh, Muslim country, one of two things, you either learn to seek peace and reconciliation with your neighbor, or you will find yourself as a minority uh, heavily persecuted. And uh, I think that upbringing, that foundation, which if you read my book, uh, The Highest of All Mountain, you'll find a little bit of more detail of how, the journey that I began on. And so, and then I came to faith uh, in my final year of college. I, my undergrad is in social work. And I began, God began to use that social work background uh, to help bring reconciliation amongst people that are uh, facing challenges of homelessness or drug addiction, uh, that it's broken relationships with families. And then I moved to the Netherlands, doing the same thing, but what it, I didn't know that I was doing peace and reconciliation because I had zero clue. I was just doing what I think is normal. Uh, to seek reconciliation between families and to seek reconciliation primarily with God. Because if, if your, your reconciliation is, if, if there's a reconciliation with God, it becomes an easy uh, runway to be able to reconcile with individuals. Uh, otherwise, it's another social engineering. And so I, when I moved to South Africa, this is towards the end of apartheid. Apartheid has just ended and South Africa has just recently uh, become independent. And I found myself smack right in the middle of a community that's uh, that's divided. Uh, Jeffreys Bay is a very touristy part of the Eastern Cape in South Africa. Uh, you, 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 When you look at the city of Jeffreys Bay, you'll go, it has all the the uplands of good life, but yet there is massive abject poverty in the minority community. And so the Lord led me to start intervening as a social worker, but again, with no context that I was doing peace and reconciliation, to start intervening in how do we help a broken community that has really been marginalized, that has suffered socioeconomic uh, injustices and the challenges, and with high HIV, AIDS, RAID, and uh, a lot of high school dropouts. So I began working in that community and soon found myself reconciling the Black community in South Africa with the colored community. And you can only understand the, uh, the, the variation of Black and colored if you are in South Africa. And that will take another day to unpack. So I'll leave it there with the white South Africans. So my work of empowering black community in, in concert with some of my friends, that are, with church members, uh, led us to develop what we call the community empowerment, uh, community empowerment center. And it became the hub of reconciliation. It was at the tail end of that journey that I looked all along. God has been taking me on a journey of reconciliation, but unbeknown to me that for such a time as this, the word of the prophet Isaiah started really speaking to me. So when you said, mention Isaiah at the, at the onset of conversation, I'm like, yeah, the prophet Isaiah has so much to say to us. In Isaiah 2, 2 to 4, it says, in the last days, the mountains of the Lord shall be established. I'm, this is, I'm summarizing it. He says, upon those mountains, nations will stream to the mountain and they will seek to go to that mountain that they will learn to fight no more. They will turn their swords into plowshare. Oftentimes it is easy to quote the other part of the turning their swords into plowshare and pruning hook, 
but we forget the purpose, the, the, the mind behind that turning of the plowshare is because they have seen the mountain of the Lord has been lifted, the shalom, the peaceable kingdom. And they will seek, nations and people will seek the God of Jacob because it is only through the God of Jacob that we can be able to have that shalom that God is raising. So it was at that point that my eye went literally open. And it's sort of like the, you hear the clarion call that this is what I have created you for. And since then, I have continued to hone those skills, that sense of call. I can't say I went looking for the call, but the call found me and I got invited. And as a result, I, when I moved to the US, I said, okay, what are some ways that I can really empower this call, this sense of drive that God is calling me into? So I went to University of Rhode Island to the Center for Nonviolence and Peace Studies, did some postgraduate work there. And being in the church balance, I said, okay, let me do Masters of Divinity. You know, it is anybody that wants to be a pastor, it's always going to have a divinity degree. So I went to do a Masters of Divinity, but the conviction was so strong that the seminary I chose is a peace seminary. But then I chose, I began to feel the impression in my second year of seminary that I want to have my uh, my uh, divinity degree in conflict transformation and they didn't have conflict transformation. And so, but the seminary then allowed me to take courses. So I took courses from other universities that have those courses and then end graduated with a master's of divinity in conflict transformation. And of course, then I went on to do my doctoral research and uh, centered my research more on peace building. And that has really helped me because oftentimes many people view conflict as bad, negative, and tend to avoid it. And the reason that happens is because when we hear the word conflict, the emotions that conjure up for us is the emotion of a bad conflict that was never handled correctly. And as a result, the word conflict tend to be viewed as negative. But when I hear the word conflict, it actually energizes me because there is so much strength in conflict. And I will say conflict has the capacity not only to cause harm and pain, but have the capacity to, to create a positive change for us. If we embrace conflict from a very open point of view, we will all of a sudden not sweep it under the rug, but we'll bring it to the surface and out of that great creativities can come out of. A conflict, help us to focus our, our attention on problems that needed to be solved. Conflict as well, help us to release negative emotion. So it enhances the quality of conversations. Yes, I know a lot of people will say, oh, Samuel, you just don't understand. You mean I should have a I should see good in conflict? What is it that is conjuring up the conflict that if you take a step back, and process, it has a tendency to help you to look at the, whatever it is, the elephant in the room. I use this analogy. You know, the, uh, the analogy of the elephant in the room, if you're blind, you're blind people, uh, the saying is that a couple of people are blindfolded and they, they lead them and to the one, they let him touch, hold the tail of an elephant and they say, this is an elephant. To the other, he touched, he or she touched, held onto the trunk of the elephant 
and to another they hold held the tusk of the elephant to another they hold the ear of the elephant and to the other they hold the, the leg of the elephant and honest to God, all of these people are holding an elephant. So they were asked to describe an elephant. Each and every one of them believed that an elephant is either just a tail, either just the trunk, the tusk, or the trunk, or the ear, or the leg. They all have great perspective because that's what they know as the elephant. But when you put all of that together, and most of them will fight their lives to say, this is what an elephant is. Are they wrong? They are not wrong because that's the perspective of what an elephant is for them. But if they're open to listen to other perspectives, the tendency is there will be, that elephant will be reconstructed and we'll see, oh, the elephant is much more than just the, the flappy ear, the tusk, or just the tail or the, or, or, or the trunk but that the elephant is something beautiful that we can all enhance. So it is only in conflict that you are able, if you can allow conflict to bring this to bear, to bring the elephant to bear, you will find the positive nature that conflict brings to any dialogue or conversation. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I, and I love that you're, the term you're using is conflict transformation rather than conflict resolution. Because resolution, to me, sounds like solving a problem. Yes. But what you're trying to do is actually transform a situation. Yes. I, you see, resolution is the first step towards transforming the culture, uh, the conflict. Oftentimes, we, we make conflict resolution as the goal. Actually, the goal is to transform the conflict, that the conflict becomes a, 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 a stepping stone to imagine the beloved kingdom of God so that we don't go back to that conflict, but that it is transformative. And so in conflict, a couple of approaches often help us to think about conflict because if we don't know what approaches we're taking, the conflict will never get to the point that where it is resolved and then transformed. So there are a couple of approaches that I want to highlight that uh, people want, people tend to fall into. Uh, the first is my way or the highway. It's forcing your way. In this approach, people want to control the outcome of this conflict. Another approach is an approach of collaboration where we together we assert our views while involved inviting others to unwelcome differences. And for good old Canadians, one of the things that I can tell you, and this is not a bad thing, but it can lead to uh, toxicity. In our context in good old Canada is we have a tendency to avoid conflict. Oh, let's just delay, delay, delay and avoid. And so when it shows up, it shows up really in a very uh, nasty way. And then the uh, fourth approach is we accommodate. We accept other people's views. And lastly, the fifth approach to conflict is compromising. So all of these approaches are needed at any given point. At what point do I need to collaborate to address the conflict that is at hand? 
at what point do I need to avoid? And I know people will say, oh, you just talked about good old Canadians that wants to avoid. When a conflict is overt, it has reached a place that is, uh, it is feisty, it is confrontational. Uh, at that moment, you avoid to be able to, to de-escalate the conflict so that uh, you're not throwing more gasoline on the fire here but so that it leads you to a place of where everyone takes stock, either to compromise and seek collaboration. That's awesome. So let's go into a specific scenario here. You have, you have people in a workplace mm -hmm. and there are two different teams that are working collaboratively on a project. And both of those teams are feeling really tense because they feel as though the other one isn't listening to them. And there's a lot of like internal chatter and it just kind of bubbles up and just things in the workplace are getting really tense. What would you say to that person that comes to you and says, okay, I want to bring unity in this collaborative environment and to kind of work through these things to transform a conflict that maybe hasn't resulted in yelling and screaming yet, but mm -hmm. it's definitely bubbling up in people's hearts. Yes, I love this. This is really great. You're you're talking about my heart here. Um, one of the see, we need to understand what type of conflict are we dealing with. I have and in my work have used a king's philosophy of his teaching of how to, how, through the civil rights movement. And he break it down into four types of conflict. In the scenario, you need to begin to ask, uh, in the light of these types of conflict, there are four simple types of conflict. Pathway conflict. Pathway conflict is simply, we have the same goal, but different method of getting to that goal. The second type of conflict is mutually exclusive. Two, like, two different goals, but seek to work together to accomplish the goal. The third is distributive conflict, which is not enough resources. And the fourth type of conflict is value conflict. And I'll go back and unpack all of this four. Pathway conflict is we have a goal. I like using this example. You want to go down to Toronto. Your goal as a department is to get down to Toronto. Some people in the department will choose to drive in a car. One person, a couple of people will say, let's take the train. You see, this pathway conflict, this is as simple as it gets. That's simple. The, 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 the whole destination, the whole goal is to get to the end of this project. But there's two pathways to get to the end of this project. And when you do not come to consensus, it might start at a very simple uh, level, at the level of it's just normal everyday conflict. And this same normal pathway everyday conflict has a tendency that if you do not address it in a, with a dialogue, what end up happening is it becomes pervasive. So there will now be chatters. Why is this person always there? Why is that individual or that person always doing that? So it leads to a pervasive, it becomes a pervasive conflict. That's a, it, now the level, this simple pathway conflict is now gone beyond normal conversation to a pervasive, a tense atmosphere. Then 
if it's not taken care of, it explodes into an overt conflict, whereby there is an open confrontation between these colleagues over the project. And so in each stage is to pay attention to what kind of conflict, is this a pathway conflict? And what level does this conflict, what, what level are we dealing with here? Is this just a normal that we have to talk about it? Is it a pervasive conflict that we need an intervention? Or is it overt that we actually need to be separated? The second is the mutually exclusive is, and the same you look at each type of conflict and assess it. So what is the level of this conflict? Because understanding the level of this conflict will significantly not only uh, help you gauge what intervention or what approach that needs to take, it helps you to stand back and zoom in and look at the conflict from a very objective point of view. Because when we get into conflict, the tendency is, that our emotions uh, and our, 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 our reptilian brain and the neofrontal cortex stop talking to each other. So our goal in conflict transformation is to have the reptilian brain constantly in sync with the neofrontal cortex that does a lot of processing like reasoning while the emotional part is talking to the, the reptilian brain is kind of like the emotional fight flight freeze it's begin is finding a way to talk to each other so that they're not in uh, out of sync with each other as a result of that we can be able to say okay objectively let's look at this conflict and how to transform it that is really really fascinating there is another scenario that i want to bring up and that is in a home and family context what would you say in a situation where there's whether it's two close friends or maybe spouses that are really struggling um with conflict and they're wanting to move forward in a healthy way maybe one is more interested in avoiding and maybe one really wants to get out everything on the table but when they say it they may speak harshly you know however these kinds of things happen what would be kind of the a pathway that you would encourage you know just for kind of personal family and friend relationships okay in the balance of conflict transformation one of the thing that I invite people to think about is what is the goal or what is the outcome that you are seeking? We might be seeking the same outcome, but different method of getting to that outcome. And oftentimes, as a result of not, see, not seeing that we have a common frame of reference, I always say principle number two in the nonviolence uh, philosophies is the beloved community is the framework for our future. If our goal is to build a beloved community, a beloved relationship as a family, a beloved community as a church, a beloved community as a, a Christian organization. So if that is the aim, then we are able to work hard at it to go around and be willing to say, what are some things that I can do to pay attention? Oftentimes in conflict, the individual you're in conflict with might not be the person you're actually in conflict with. There might be some underlying condition that you are not seeing. So the tendency when we're in conflict with what we perceive as in conflict with people we begin to attack people 
not the forces of evil that is working through people. Okay. Yeah. So when we, if I start, for example, if I start attacking you, Jordan, immediately every single reasoning goes out the box for you to sit down and have a conversation with me. But if I will be able to say, Jordan, this situation is making me feel this or is causing a harm in my relationship with you, and I am able to nail the situation, the condition, the underlying condition, then I am not attacking Jordan, but I'm attacking the underlying condition of Jordan's behavior that is making me feel the way I feel. And so in, in the principle is, if the beloved community is the framework for our future, then attack the principle, the forces of evil at work, not the persons that the evil comes through. And when we do that, it actually helps us to relate with the people that we are, we are in conflict with. Because all of a sudden, we're able to stand in their shoes. And that's when we can speak truth. And oftentimes, uh, there's what we call dialectical uh, thinking. And the dialectical thinking is, it is simple. For every conflict, for every uh, positive, there's always a negative reaction. So in the dialectical thinking is to pay attention to where am I in this circle of conflict? Mm -hmm. And how am I responding? Am I attacking or am I trying to move this conversation to a place of consensus? Right. Yeah, because it may not actually be someone's goal to get to the end of it. The goal might actually just be for them to be right. Yeah. And in that case, it's not going to find transformation because that person is wanting just to be right and not actually work in the situation. Yes. And so lastly, Jordan, I find it really encouraging when we talk about uh, reconciliation and transformation by and by revelation 7 9 says and i look and behold a multitude that no one could count from every tribe every nation every language you name it so can you imagine if that is the framework that the church looks at constantly if that is our goal and i'm not talking about just by and by where we all go to heaven and get on the bus and go somewhere but i'm talking about if that is the kind of the peaceable kingdom that god is inviting us to I will start experience, I will long to experience that peaceable kingdom here and now as that kingdom gets unveiled. So if it's a family, you need to look at the family situation and say, what is our goal? Is our goal the beloved kingdom of God, our family together, or my goal, our goal is for me to be right and you are wrong. And if we can shift our focus to this is the beloved kingdom that we seek to build, this family that we seek to build that emulate Christ. Then all of a sudden, I sacrifice more, the spouse, my spouse will sacrifice more, and the children will end up sacrificing more because we know there is, I'm not trying to play gotcha, or I'm winning, you're losing, but we're building towards a, a reflection of that kingdom of God. That is so good. And I love that phrasing of a beloved community. And so with that, to my beloved community listening to this podcast, my prayer, desire, and hope is that we would find ways to transform our perspectives, our minds, and our hearts and relationships 
to be in the mind of the Prince of Peace. And I really do hope that this has been a benefit to you. I encourage you to go to Samuel's website to check out his book and other resources. That'll be in the show notes, samuelsarpia.com. And so I thank you, Samuel, for being with us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And to our listeners, also go to the way, um, go to way, niagara.ca or to all of our social media to keep up with all the different things going on around the church. Thank you so much for tuning in. Bye for now. <laughs>